This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thank you all for coming, even though you're probably here every week. But a special thanks to everybody who participated in organizing, not just what I hear is just once a week, it's more uh, uh, um, a, a weekly thing. So, I was debating on what topic to speak about um, when Michelle reached out to me. And um, I came across this, this uh, topic that it's crucial. This is like the fundamentals of what Yiddish guide represents, what Judaism represents. And um, I figured what better topic to do. This is sort of the foundation of what it means to be a good Jew. But not only to be a good Jew, also to be a good husband, a good son, a good a parent, a good, you know, in business. And everything encapsulates this, uh, this idea. And that is the idea of being an Eved Hashem. Eved Hashem means you're being a servant of, of, of God. Now, there was once a guy who uh, was uh, his, his mother recently passed away. And uh, he, he needed to say, he needed to die for the oven, he needed to say Kaddish. So he, one particular night, he was very busy, he was rushing back and forth. And before he realized it, before he knew it, it was 3 a.m. He was living in Yerushalayim at the time. How was he going to find the minion at 3 a.m.? So he went over to the most popular shtibol, the shul in Yerushalayim. And he figured, over there, this is where I'm going to find, this is where I'm going to find the minion. So he goes inside. And uh, he sees there's not a soul inside. It's 3 a.m. The last Marev was 2.30. And he's like, what am I going to do? He starts thinking. He's like, he's never missed, uh, you know, he never missed, a, a, you know, the davening for his, uh, for his mother. So he decides what he's going to do. He's going to call up a cab company. He calls up a cab company. And uh, he says, how many Jews do you have on the roster for tonight? And the guy's like, what? Like, just, you know, is, you know, Israel, they don't ask too many questions. He's like, how many Jews do you have that is working right now? So he looks at his roster. He says, I got three. So do me a favor. Send them all to this location. He says, okay, no problem. Calls up another cab company. He says, how many Jews do you have working tonight? And he says, I have uh, four. He says, okay, send it over to this location. All four of them. And he went and he called every single cab company that was in the area. And he says, how many Jews do you have working? Send them over here. Until he got nine. He's waiting outside. The first cab pulls up. And uh, he says, we need to go to. He says, no, no, we're not going anywhere. He says, do me a favor. Start the, in, the, the meter, the monet. The, the meter in Israel is called the monet. Start the monet over here. Start now. And I want you to come inside. He says, what do you mean come inside? He says, just do me a favor. I'm going to pay you for your time. Just start the meter and let's go inside. So he starts the meter. The, you know, money is money. At 3 a.m. You can't uh, be, uh, be fidgety for, for business. And he goes inside. And he sits over there one by one. He tells each car service, start your meter and go inside. They're all sitting over there. There's nine guys. They're like, what do you want from us? Like, what's good? You know, what do you need? He says, I need to pray tonight. Uh, you know, I'll be, I need to pay Marif. I need you for a minyan. And he, they go and they all sit together. They all pray. After they pray, he goes out. He goes to the first uh, cab drive over there. He says, okay, how much is on the meter? And the guy's like, he's like, what's the difference does it make? He says, no, I need to pay for your time. And he takes out his money and he says, how much do I owe you? And he's like, look, I've been a cab driver for 20 years. He said, no one ever has done this. I've ne- I'm not taking any money from you. And he's like, no, but you, you would have made money otherwise. Tried to convince him, please take some money. He says, no, I'm not interested in, in any money. And he says, okay, fine. Thank you very much. And he goes on his way. He goes to the next cab driver and he says, how much do I owe you? He says, oh, oh, me? I have to pay you. He says, I haven't prayed in who knows how long. And finally, I had a chance to pray. Now I have to owe, I owe you. And he says, no, I've tried to... One after another, not a single one wanted to accept any money from him. This was going to cost him a lot of money. This was going to, it was going to cost him hundreds of shkalim in order to, to be able to pray uh, this alavit. And not a single person took it. 
Now I want to ask you, what makes this person decide that he's going to go and he has to call? Whoever would have thought of that? Have you ever even thought about that? What happens? You know, probably not anybody in this room, but somebody else, right? If they would have came and they would have been three in the morning, oh my gosh, I forgot to pray. What do you do? You go to the corner of your house and you pray very, he says, okay, what can you do? So what made this guy change and say, oh, you know what? Now I have to go and I have to make sure that I'm going to make it beyond. I'm going to go and call everybody everywhere. So there's a fundamental difference when you look at things that you need to do. You can look at it as I do things out of the kindness of my heart. I, you know, pray because I'm a good person. I decided that I want to pray. I, you know, do this because I decided that I want to do this. So you're doing things because it's of the kindness of your heart. But on the other hand, you have another person in the same, same, same circumstance, same obligation, same, same, uh, same scenario. But they don't think, okay, I'm going to pray because, you know, it's out of the goodness of my heart, but rather I'm obligated to pray. Either I'm obligated to pray at one side of the spectrum, or you have, okay, I'll do it if I want to. It's out of the kindness of my heart. There is a fundamental difference between these two mindsets. And you have to think about which mindset you are in. You are the mindset of like, okay, like I'll do it when I'm able to do it. And if I'm not able to do it, you know, like my hands are tied, what could I have I done? And that is the difference between thinking of your obligations versus thinking of things that it's just, you know, a bonus, whatever you do. When you think of things as your obligation, you get it done. It's not how you're going to get it done. It's not, it's when you're going to get it. It's going to get done. The question is how we're going to get there. As opposed to like, okay, it's up in the air. Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky, when he learned his 20 plus hours a day, he didn't look at his, at his learning as a nice, you know, bonus that he's going to do. Oh, yeah, you can learn for eight hours a day. You could be a big tzaddik. You know, you could learn, do a lot. You could do it. But he went and he, it's classified. His, his, his uh, terminology that he used for his learning is something called chavot. Chavot means obligation. This is not something that I'm doing it because it's nice. I'm going to open up a safe or what I'm trying. No, no, Because I'm obligated to do a certain amount of learning and that's what he gets done every single day. In the secular world, when... You look at uh, the the rights of a person. The, the secular world really focuses on rights, and you look in America law, and in fact any 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 country, it's about my right. Right? It's it's your obligation is to is, is to follow my right. Not I don't have to do anything for you, but you have to make sure you don't violate my my rights. In Yiddishkeit, in Judaism, it's not about my rights. It's my about my obligation. It's not about what you're going to give to me, but rather what I am going to give uh, what I what I'm going to give to you. The First mitzvah that the Torah tells us after we got the, the Torah in Harsinai, this past week's parasha, uh, was the, the mitzvah. You, you think about it. If you were to think about what would be the best thing to put, right? You, you picture this, this, this scenario. You just received the Torah. There's like everything came down from heaven. It was the most miraculous event. And now after the Ten Commandments, after the first Torah, the first mitzvah the Torah speaks about is about slavery. You think that would be the first thing out of all the things? And what's that? Well, it's not even about slavery. It's about a slave goes free after the seventh year. So what, and what happens if a slave decides that they want to stay? They want to stay with the master. They, they're having a good time over there, and they want to stay. So the Torah tells us that you have to go to, the owner takes him to the doorpost, takes an owl, a martzah, and he goes and he nails his ear into the door. Not like a permit, it just makes a, a, a hole. The question is, what's that doing over here? Like, what, what, is that, what does that have to do after this whole big, you know, shebang? Now this is what we put it in. So what's, what was the whole concept of us being in Mitzrayim, us being in Egypt? What was the whole idea of us being in Egypt? When you think about it, you have someone that lives life 
however they want. They, however they decide, that's how they're going to live their life. They're going to do what they want. They wake up when they want. They go to sleep with one. No one tells me what to do. And all of a sudden, HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes and says, okay, wait a minute. There are commandments. There are things that each and every single one of us need to do. Now, how do you jump from doing nothing all of a sudden from doing so much? You need training. You need to go to college. You need to go to the university. And that's where the Jewish people went. We went to what's called slave college, slave university, slave training. We went and we studied how to be a slave. 400 years we sat there and we figured out how you're supposed to be a slave. And that's one of the main reasons why we were in Egypt was that we should learn how to be a slave. You have to learn how to be submissive. You have to learn how to be able to be subjugated and how to be told, listen, you can't do whatever you desire. This is a big problem nowadays. When you go from a single, you know, single man or a single woman all of a sudden to married life, it, there's, there's a shock. It's like, wait a minute, it's like now I have to, like, I, you know, I have to deal with somebody else. I can't just think about myself. So God went and He put us in, in Israel, He put us in Egypt to become, to learn how to be a slave. And that is why that we use specifically, what we use to, to, to put the, the ear in the earlobe is something called a marzah. Uh, this, uh, this, this is the numerical value of that is 400. To remember that rem- you're becoming a slave. Now, who are you supposed to be a slave to? You're supposed to be a slave only to HaKadosh Baruch only to God. And now you decide you're going to be a slave to somebody else? So no, no, no. Now the same ear that heard on Har Sinai, that you heard over there who you have to serve and who you have to follow, and now you decide you're going to follow somebody else, so that, that needs to be, uh, that, that you put it specifically in the ear. So when you think about it, what is the main focus? If you think about it, this is like mind-blowing, and we'll see how it would, if, if you follow this concept, it could change your life. How is it that somebody's able to go from nothing to all of a sudden full of obligations? There's preparations that needed. You want to get married, you have to prepare. You want to go into business, you have to prepare. You want to do anything in life, you have to prepare. And this was the preparation. And this, the Torah says about Moshe Rabbeinu, says if you think about it, Moshe Rabbeinu, right? If you think about the most significant person in, 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 in response to giving us the Torah, in response to like, you look at, at, at the Torah at large, and who was the most popular, I don't know if popular is the right word, who was the most significant? You would say it's Moshe Rabbeinu. In fact, in English, it's called the five books of Moses. It's named after him. So what would you think the, the, the terminology that the Torah sums up Moshe Rabbeinu. How do they classify Moshe Rabbeinu? What was, it, what was the, the, the a culmination of his life? What would you give that terminology? The Torah tells us in Devarim, chapter 34, verse 5, V'yamas Moshe, Moshe died, and it says over there, V'yamas Moshe, Eved Hashem. You know what the terminology is that you give somebody in the highest level? You want to know what the, one of the greatest praises that you could get? Is if you're told you're an Eved Hashem, you're a servant of, uh, you're a servant of God. Now, when you speak about servitude, when you speak about topics like this, this is not a popular topic. People are not interested, right? This is the land of the free, right? We're all about getting freedom. It's all about what everybody thinks. Of. It's, it's getting out of anything. Nobody tells me what to do. In the, in, the, in the non-Jewish world, as soon as you hit 18, you leave the house. Why? Because my mother and my father, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to live my life the way that I want to live. The, um, you know, and, and it's, the freedom is not just for, like, the, the political or the, you know, like, telling what to do. We, we strive for every aspect of freedom. Financial freedom. We spot, and, and you know what even the problem is? The problem where a lot of marriages, unfortunately, don't survive is they feel that they're not free. 
feel I have too many obligations. And unfortunately, you hear stories where you have parents even that run away. They, they don't want to deal with the obligations. They're not built to whatever it was. They didn't work on themselves to be able to, 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 to have that. Anywhere you go in life, you are going to be some, you're going to have some sort of obligations. Something if you want to be successful. If you don't want to be successful, okay, fine. You sit in the corner, you have no obligations to nobody, but you're not going to achieve anything in life. But if you want to achieve something in life, you realize that there's going to be some sort of obligations that's going to, uh, uh, that's going to tie you down. There was a very wealthy uh, man who he, uh, he was getting sick and he had only one son. And the son was living in a very, very far away yeshiva. He was learning over there. And he was very nervous. He had a bunch of slaves. He had a bunch of servants. And if they find out that he dies, then and his son is inheriting everything, what are they going to do? They're going to this one is going to take from here. This one's going to take. By the time the son comes, the son comes over. Even the beams of the house won't be won't be there. So he was thinking, how am I going to make sure that I am going to go and 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 give my son, who I love so dearly, everything that I that I worked so hard in my life. So he's thinking, he's thinking, and then he has an idea. He calls his main servant, his high, the, the, the main guy. And he calls him and he tells him, and he says, you know, you've been very good to me for many, many years. You've been the best servant anybody could ask for. And he says, I want to pay you back. And the, you know, the servant, he realized the servant wasn't the best. He's, giving, he's rubbing his ego a little bit. And he tells him and he says, I want to give you my whole estate. Every single thing I own, I want to give you. But my son, it's, he gets one thing. Only one thing he gets, but the catch is, he gets to decide first. And the servant is thinking about this. He's like, he's like, not a problem. He's like, of course, you know, like I'm so grateful. He's thanking him. A few days later, the man passes away. And, you know, the servants, this whole, the whole household, although everybody was working for him, they were like, okay, you know, the master went away. Hey, what are we going to take over here? And the main servant is like, no, 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 no. You know, there's a will and testament, and he made he was the guard over the entire house because why well, he didn't tell everybody was he, he was getting the whole thing. He was making sure no one touches anything. And after all this, uh, and all the all the workers, all the servants, they left the house. He goes and he travels very far, singing along the whole way, traveling through both the train, through everything, and he gets to the <clears throat> he gets to the yeshiva where this boy is learning. And he goes over to the, to, you know, to the, to the person on the front over there, and he's asking, he says, can you direct me to this and this boy? And he directs him, and he goes, and they meet him, and he says, you know, like, he's trying not to smile to say that his father just died, because right now he became multi-billionaire. He goes, and he says, listen, uh, your father unfortunately passed away, um, and uh, before we do that, the boy starts crying, and, you know, he's waiting for him to compose himself, and then he finally says, listen, I have the last will and testament. The boy opens up the well testament and he sees he double takes it he says my father is only leaving me one thing he says I don't understand this and he says my father loved me very much why wouldn't he give me why wouldn't he give me anything well, only one thing so he goes to um, he goes to the, his rabbi and he says rabbi you gotta help me out here this is the last well testament what am I, I gonna choose one thing? I'm gonna go there and find a oh, nice expensive jewel he says why would a loving father do such a thing so the rabbi reads over the letter and he starts smiling. He says, your father is a genius. He says, what do you mean he's a genius? He's, look, he only gave me one thing. What type of genius gives us not only one thing? And the rabbi explained to him, he says, what's going to happen if your father says you get everything? He says, by the time you get there, there's nothing going to be left. Everyone's going to take whatever they're able to get around their hands on. So what did your father do? Your father said, he gives the main servant, one, you know, like he, he's able to take everything, but one thing he can't take. But what you're supposed to do right now is what, you know what you should take? Take the servant. 
Masha Kanaya, they kind of rabbi, whatever the servant acquires, whatever the servant acquires, the, the master acquires. So the, so the, um, so the boy starts smiling, he's like, oh, that's genius. He goes over to the servant, <clears throat> he's like, okay, I know what I want. He says, anything, <laughs> anything you want. And he goes over to the servant and says, I want you. He's like, oh, <laughs> I want you too. He's like, no, 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 you didn't get that. He says, I want you are now my servant. He's like, wait, what? He's like, it could be done. Like, wait. And because of that, he was able to acquire everything. Because Moshe Kana Eved Kana Rabbi. This is what the Rambam tells us. Rambam tells us that everything that you do, you should do for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Everything that you do, the way you don't realize there's laws on how you tie your shoes and how you get dressed and how you do, and how you eat. There's so many halachas and everything in life. Why? Because everything that you're doing, you're supposed to be doing for your master, for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that is everything that you do is going to end up getting reward. Do you realize how amazing this is? You realize just like to understand it. So God put you in this world. Right, and you have difficulties, you have good times, and you have the hard times, and you think, when do you get reward? When do you get rewarded for what you do? You think, okay, fine. When I come on, on a Motzer Shabbat, I sit and I learn a little bit, I get a little bit of reward over here, and then I learn over here, I pray over here, I get a little bit and pick it up here and there. The Torah tells us, no, no, no. It says you're able to get reward almost every single second of the day. You know, if you go to sleep thinking that I'm going to go to sleep now, so I'll have energy to serve my master, serve God better tomorrow, that sleep is you're getting reward for it. And relax, don't overdo it with the 14 hours. Be like, no, this is for God. Let me go back to the other side. No, as a mom, yeah, my mom tried to wake me up. No, 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 I'm sleeping for God now. Please wake me up. Like, let me, let me sleep. You know, when you, whatever it is you do, obviously, according to the, to, to the, the correct ways, you're doing it for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that means that you get reward for everything. How amazing, how unbelievable is that? <clears throat> this is really the difference, one of the many, many, many difference between the Arabs and the Jews. You think about it, the name of God only appears in two nations of the world. Yishmael and Yisrael. Two, the last two letters are God's name. Why is it that the Arab, the Muslim country, they, they, that, that they get God's name in it? So what does it mean, Yishmael? What does Yishmael mean? Yishmael, when you break it up, stands for, uh, it, it, it spells out Yishmael. God would listen. What's Yisrael, just to understand? Yisrael is Yashar Kel. Yashar Kel means we go straight in the path of God. But what's Yishmael? Yishmael is that the God is going to listen. How does the Arab work? It's very interesting. When you look about when, when Avram Avinu, when he went and he had the, the Arab, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, three, it was really angels, but they, when they came to him, he says, wash your feet. Why do they wash your feet? Because they serve the ground that they go, who serves the ground that they walk on? Because you want to know what the mentality of the Muslims, what one of the mentalities of the Arabs, of the Ishmaelim, is that whatever I do, I do it for God. It's for God. But they do it in a, on a, on a they, they switch it around. How do they switch it around? Because it doesn't matter whether they're supposed to be doing it or they're not supposed to do it. They say, Allah oh, Akbar, and they do whatever it is that they want. They do the, they do the worst of the worst. It's God, you know, it's like, you know, like, God wants me to do this. After all, what do you think I want to do this? I have to murder people, but it's for God. Baby's not a problem. It's for God. So they take everything that they do. They worship the ground that they work on because it, well, the, everything that they do, this is what God wants. This is what God wants. They do the most disgusting things in the world and they think they're doing it for God. That is the, 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 the flip side of where it's supposed to be. What's Yisrael? Yashar Kel. Meaning that yes, we do everything for God also, but we don't do, you know the way it works in the, in the, in the Arab world, it's God's going to listen to me. Yishmar Kel. God's listening to me. In the Jewish world, I listen to God. What God wants, that's what I do. What in the Arab world is what I want, that's what God's gonna want and He's gonna bless me and, and, and so on and so forth. There was a, um, 
the king of Prussia, King Frederick, he uh, was one time going and he was looking at his soldiers. He was, uh, had them all lined up. And he's uh, walking up and down and looking at the soldiers in the uniform and how they're dressed and how they're standing. And he sees something very peculiar in one of the officers. He sees that this guy has a watch chain. But instead of having a watch on the other side, he has a shiny bullet. So the king was a little bit in a joyful mood. He takes out his bedazzled, you know, uh, you know most expensive watch. He has diamonds everywhere. The second he takes it out, it's like shining from, from the reflection. And he looks at his watch, and he goes over to the soldier. He says, listen, um, my watch says the half past one. What, uh, what time is it on your, on your watch? And the soldier looks down, and it, he's, like, he's like, my dear king, this is a, this is a bullet. Isn't it? <laughs> it doesn't tell time. And the king starts smiling, and he says, so why do you have it on a watch, uh, on, on a watch ring? And the soldier says, my dear king, says, for me, it doesn't matter what time it is. It doesn't matter the hour, the minutes, the seconds. But there's one thing that I always know and I always follow, and this is my thought process, is that I will always take a bullet for you. So the king was so impressed with that, he took out his bejeweled watch and he gave it to the soldier. He says, now this is yours. Says because that's the mentality that we need to have. That everything that we do, we do it for our Kaddish Baruch Hu. Rav Shem Pinkas <coughs> gives a, a, a mashal. Amen. So Rav Shem Pinkas gives a um, a parable. And there was a there was a wild child, like over the you know like jumping on the wall. Everything that who knows what they did. And um, <coughs> one day this child was playing. And the ball ran into the street. He ran after this ball. And unfortunately, a car hit him. Went flying. You know, they rushed him to the hospital. It broke so many bones, unfortunately, this kid. The arms, the legs, the ribs. And the parents are sitting there in the hospital. Now, is this a time to discipline the kid? You can say, no, you know, don't run into the street again. And, you know, this is not. There's a time and place when you have to discipline. This is what happens during this time. During this time, the parents are showering him with gifts and get better and everything. Only the positive, only amazing things. But after he gets out of the hospital, after he finishes his re, after he gets all better and he starts acting a little wild again, this is the time then the parents start saying, okay, wait, 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 you know, like you've gone through this before. Maybe you don't remember. And that's when they start, that's when they start disciplining him. And this is where Shimshon Pinka says, like every so often, he made a calculation, every 60 to 80 years, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God sends us a reminder. Because we tend to forget. And 77 years ago, we had a reminder, it was called the Holocaust. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu reminded, and before that, there was, if you go to the, you don't have to go all the way back to the Spanish Inquisition, but you go to the Chamlanesque Massacre, there's so many, after, he made a calculation, every 60 to 80 years, there is some sort of wake-up call to tell us, you know, wait a minute, we're not following the right way. But what happens right after these wake-up calls? Right after these wake-up calls, God gives us, you know, tranquility, peace. And you look after the Holocaust, there was a, a, an unbelievable amount of chesed, of kindness that God gave to the Jewish people. They were able to move to Eretz Israel. We were able to get a, you know, a state in Eretz Israel. We were able to move to America. There was a lot of yeshivas. You realize what we lost in the Holocaust? We lost everything. It was a big, big wake-up call. There were six million Jews that died. There were the yeshivas, the infrastructure. Everything just crumbled. Everybody had to pick themselves up and start again from scratch. And not just start again from scratch and be like, okay, let me move to a new country. And They start off broken. They had nothing. Nothing. They lost their family. They were completely broken. So what happens when you have a child sitting in a hospital and they're in the wounds? Like this Bible says, let me take care of you now. It says, I send you the reminder. But then what happens is if we tend to forget, God sends us another reminder. And recently we had a very big reminder. 
October 7th, was a very big reminder to everyone. And this is my own thought process, that nowadays... The, the amount of, of, of because of inform- the, the transfer of information with technology and the media and the social networks, the amount of information that we receive so quick that we, like, like it, it affects the entire world. What hit the little country in Eretz Israel, a little place and a, little, a few kibbutzim, this affected the entire world. We knew instant updates. Even though it was on Simchat, even though that it was on Simchat, we were still able to somehow get some sort of information we're going through. The amount of information is unbelievable. The <clears throat> reminders that come is to wake us up. It's not a bonus. It's not like, oh, you're so good, let me throw this your way. There's obviously something that we need to do. Now the question is, how are we going to figure out what is it that we need to do? How is it we're going to find out what we need to do? The first time that Gajbaru gave this reminder was the first base on Miklash. And what was the reason? The, the, the everybody over there they couldn't figure out the right the the, the the final reason of what was the reason that God did this why did God destroy the base of Beit Hamikdash until Hakadosh Baruch Hu came down and he says I'll tell you why he says you want to know why he says because you didn't make the bracha before learning Torah you didn't do it. you didn't do bichat Torah you didn't do the, you didn't what does that mean you didn't, you didn't enjoy it you didn't do you know why we're do why we had to okay fine because I have to learn so I'll learn okay fine but you didn't enjoy it do you know what the difference if you enjoy something and you don't enjoy something the success the amount that you're able to accomplish is so far like you you can't even, and I can tell you from like so many different examples if you're trying to learn and you're not in the mood. You could learn and read the Gemara or the Chumash, whatever it is, ten times. You're, you're like your mind is not there. If you're tired, you're not going to be able to, you know, get it so much. If you, whatever it is, but imagine you're like motivated, you're pumped up, you got that energy, and you're like, let's do it. You're able to like fly through information. You're going, to, you're going to school. You have stuff that you need to do. You're not in the mood. You can read the same page a thousand times. You're like, I don't know. And then one day you're like, okay, I'm in it. I'm, I'm zoning in. I'm going to cram it. Whatever it is, and then all of a sudden it just comes. And the same thing in business, the same thing in relationships. How many people are in relations, they're like, I don't know what she wants from me. Well, people say that all the time. But when they're real problems, how do I know? Like, <clears throat> and then one time, you just like put yourself in the zone. You just like focus. And all of a sudden, like worlds open up for you. And be like, oh, wait a minute. Like, how did I not see this? How did I not plug this all in? How did I not connect the dots? And that's just, sometimes we're all over the place. We don't have that. We need that little bit of a wake-up call to be able to say, wait a minute, what are we doing over here? And if you want to know why October 7th, I cannot tell you that. Nobody can tell you that. But there's one underlying thing that if you're able to, if you're able to get this, it sort, of encaps- it sort of answers all the questions. And that is becoming an Eved Hashem. Because that will fix all your problems. Everything that you need to do, that's going to have it fixed. That's the underlying uh, answer. There was a person that was about Shuvah, and um, they, you know, they, they came from a place where, let's say, they didn't keep Shabbat, they didn't eat, they, you know, they didn't eat kosher, they, you know, they did everything and anything they wanted. And then they decide that they are going to start, uh, you know, becoming more religious, and they start keeping Shabbat. They stopped watching TV on Shabbat, they started, you know, eating kosher, they started, you know, changing their, their life a little bit. This particular person one day is traveling, and he gets into this, this location where there's no kosher food. And he's starving, there's no kosher food. And he's going up and down the supermarket trying to find something, there's nothing. And he sees a sandwich over there that's not kosher, and he goes over and he holds the sandwich, and he says, God, what do you want from me? He says, 
all my brothers, they don't keep Shabbat, they don't eat kosher, they don't do all these things. He says, I do so many good stuff for you, right? Look at how much I changed my life. This I can't have. And he goes and he eats a sandwich. Scenario number two. You have a working guy. <coughs> Works long, hard hours. He comes after a busy day. He comes home. He waffles down some, some, something to eat. And then he runs to the Beth Midash to learn a little bit. And he's sitting and he's learning. And after he finishes learning, he goes home and he's exhausted. He sits down. And let's just say he does things not so Jewish. Uh, you, know, when he, when, you know, when he gets home. For whatever it is. And he says, God, what do you want from me? He says, I'm a, I work all day. I'm exhausted. Out of the goodness of my heart, I go to a Gemara, I, go to the, I, I listen to a Torah class. You want me now also? Come on. He says, you know, like I, I do so much already. You have a boy that's sitting and learning in yeshiva. And they're learning and they, do, they learn well. And then comes a summer break or any break. And he says, God, you want me to learn now also? Look at how many hours I learn every single day for you. Come on, you got to give a guy a break. And he says, you got to let me do what I want to do. And they do things that are not so, let's call it Jewish. What's the problem with, these, with, the, with this mentality? <clears throat> Is that they're thinking, you know what? He says, look God, look what I'm doing for you. He says, I'm giving you all this. Stuff. I'm doing it for you. Are you kidding me? I don't need to do this. I could sit home. How many of my neighbors, how many of my friends, how many of my family members don't even come? And I came. But okay, fine. So now I want to do what I want to do. You're going to give me a, you know, a, you know, an issue with that? He says, no, let me, do what, let me do what I need to do. So explain to Shimshin because you want to know what the difference is? The difference is, is that they don't realize one very important aspect. You are a Evet Hashem. You are God's servant. That means that you don't get to decide what I'm going to listen and what I'm not going to listen. Well, we have the Arabs for it, right? That's what they're going to do, right? The, the Ishmaelim, they decide that. The Jewish aspect, the Yisrael, Yashar Kel, means that we have to do everything that is what God wants. What does God want from me? The Magna Abduvna brings a mashal, that there was once a very wealthy businessman. Had like 60 plus his businesses, very, very successful, very, very busy. One day he gets a phone call from, his, uh, from, from somebody and says, I need to meet with you. And he says, you know how many phone calls he gets? He says, I can't, I'm so busy. He says, no, I need to meet you. I'm got Monday morning, I need to meet with you. He says, I can't, I'm so busy. And the guy is like a nudnik, right? he keeps on going. I need to meet with you, I need to meet with you. He says, fine, you know what, I'll squeeze you in. Come to me 10 a.m. in my office. He says, fine. He gets here at 10 a.m. in the office. He comes in and he starts talking to him. And the business guy is like, you know, like, hey, what's this for? You know, forget about the, all the, the, the pleasantries. Let's get to the, you know, to the brow. What, what, what what's up? And the guy says, says you know, I, I owe you some money. And the wealthy guy looks into his book and, he, and this, this visitor says, you know, I owe you $100,000. And the wealthy guy says, yeah, I see that. I see that. And uh, this, the visitor says, you know, I, uh, I can't pay you back. So the wealthy guy says, you mean like now you need an extension, like three months or something? He says, no, can't pay you back at all. He says, like, just like at all? He says, yeah, no, not, I'm not going to be able to pay you back. Don't, don't, don't anticipate the money. It's not coming. And the wealthy guy is like shocked. He's like, you know, like, okay, I mean, like, I guess it is what it is. <laughs> you know, you're not going to pay me back. What am I going to do? And he's like, you know, I thank you for coming down and stopping by, but I got to get continue. He's like, no, 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 I'm not finished yet. And uh, this uh, visitor comes and says, I need to borrow another 200 grand. And the guy's like, 
He's like, wait, what? <laughs> so you just came and you just told me straight out that you're not returning any of my previous money, and now you want me to give you more money, you know, again? As of the Magad, what's going on in Yom Kippur? We come to God and we say, we did so many things wrong. Yeah, we, we, we're, we're like, God, we're not paying you back and all these things. But can I get a bonus, a raise, and I need to move out, I need to buy a new car? Because this year, can you make it a good year? What's going on over here? Why is it the day that we come and we're asking God for forgiveness, we're saying, okay, God, give me a good life. Give me everything I want. Where's it? Wait a few days. You know, like the way that it says, I can't pay you back. And he comes back a month later and be like, can I borrow another 200 grand? I apologize about that. That would be something more realistic that you think about it. Why is it the same time that we're going and we're asking God and we're telling God, we're not paying you back. We messed up. We did so many wrong things. But oh, can I get extra? I said the market because this is something very, very important. That when you ask Hashem for something, when you ask God for something, you have to know what you don't deserve it. You don't earn it. This is not because you are such a good boy and now God's going to give you X, Y, and Z. No, no, no. Everything that God gives us is a, is a, is a, is a gift. It's a matnas chinam. It's a gift. And we have to realize when we ask a Kaddish Baruch Hu for something, we have to realize this is none other than a gift. We don't, God doesn't owe us anything. Everything that we get is a gift. There was once this woman that didn't have, had a very hard time having children, this couple. And they were living in Sfas. And uh, the husband was a big Talmud Chacham. He would sit and learn all day. And she was a principal of a Kira school. She, they did good stuff. And they were sitting against fast. And they were like, you know what? So many years, they didn't have any children. Let's try something else. Let's move to a different, a different city. You change your place, you change your luck. Let's try, let's move to Yerushalayim. So they started, they got up, and they moved to Yerushalayim. And they sat there. They went to all the specialists. They went to everything. No, nothing to it. Three years pass by, and you know, every so often someone's going through something, sometimes it just hits you like a house of bricks that falls on your head. And she just couldn't fall asleep. She couldn't fall asleep. All she thought about is she's childless, and it would hurt her so much. So she looks at the time, it's, it's way past midnight. She says, You know what? He says, I need to speak to somebody. He says, Let me go to Shlomo Zaman Arbach, the Gadol Adar in Yerushalayim. And uh, she goes over to the cab. She tells the cab, goes, bring me to Shaya Chesed. And the cab goes and drives it up to the house of Roshel Muzaman Arabach. And she's looking in to, to see, and she sees that the light is open. She's like, okay, good, maybe he's still up. She goes up the step in the building. She knocks on the door, and she hears some chairs moving, and someone comes out. Someone opens the door. Who is it? None other than Roshel Muzaman Arabach himself. And the second that she sees them, she's so overwhelmed, she just starts bursting out into crying. And she's sitting there, and she's crying and crying and crying and crying. And the, the, well, the Gadol is sitting over there, he, you know, he's just waiting for her to say, well, well, why did you come? And after all, what seems forever, she stops crying. And she says, Rebbe, can you give me a bracha? Can you do something? I don't have any kids. It's killing me. I want nothing more. The most important thing I want in my life is to have a child, to hold a child. God, can you please give me a child? And Rosh Hashanah looks at her and he says, you know, I feel for your pain. You know, it's terrible what you're going through. He says, but God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe you a child. He says, Hashem doesn't owe anyone anything. He doesn't owe anyone partners. He doesn't owe anyone family. He doesn't owe anyone anything. And she was so taken aback by this that she was not expecting this response. And she's like, oh, you know, like, oh, okay, you know, I guess. And she's about to turn around to leave. She thought that was the end of the thing. And then Reb Shalom Zahmarach says, but, and she's like, yes. And, she's, and he's like, you know, if you do chesed for somebody else that they don't deserve, meaning that you don't owe them anything, then measure for measure, midah connected midah, HaKadosh Baruch will give you something you deserve. 
So finally, some sort of light of hope that she could hold on to. She said, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And she goes home and she starts thinking what chesed she's going to do. So she decides that she's going to go to the hospital to make people happy. That's what she's going to do. So she goes and she buys this cart and she bedazzles it and she puts all you know goodies inside this cart. And she goes into the hospital the next day to go and volunteer. So because her mind are always on babies, she goes, she stops by the maternity ward. It wasn't long before she realized these women don't need any extra happiness. They're doing okay because they have their children. So she goes and she goes to the other side of the hospital. She goes to the oncology department. She goes to the hematology department, the urology department, people that are suffering, the ICU. And she goes and she starts going and trying to make people happy. One year goes by and she has a baby boy. Another five years go by and she has twin girls. When the story is written, the story is old, this baby boy was already married with a child. The girls were 17. But we see over here that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't owe us anything. But we have a workaround and be able to, look at, if you're able to do chesed, you do, God works measure for measure. Not because He needs to, not because you, He owes you, but because it's out of the goodness of His heart. It's a man naschin. And we say, okay, listen, I don't owe this guy anything, but let me do something good to him. Now God says, okay, wait a minute, you did something good to him. Let me do something, let me do something good to you as well. And this, unfortunately, uh, is is a problem where you see people that become religious for something. You know, they become religious. Let's say, I, I could tell you numerous cases that, that people told me that, uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, because I always like to know, like, what made you become religious? You know, like, you know, I tried business. I tried college. I tried all these. I wasn't making money. I figured, let me try religion. Maybe that will give me some money. And he says, and it didn't happen. So what? Uh, you know, like, it, it didn't work out. Somebody's going and can't get married. He says, you know what? Let me try religion. Maybe I'll get a religious girl. Okay, let me put in this stuff and I'll put some stuff over here and I'll do the motions and I'll do the things that I need to do and then maybe I'll get a married. Maybe I'll get a wife. And if that doesn't work, you know, like, so they, they try the next thing, right? And the child is also, they try the next thing. So what happens? What happens if you're trying that? You do that. Not saying that it's a bad reason to do it. You know, you should do it even for that. But what happens if, let's say, six months down the line, you didn't become a billionaire yet? So some people will continue. Some people will say, okay, let's go on to the next business venture. Well, God didn't work. Let me try something else. You know, so what does that show? That shows that everything that you did from the beginning wasn't real. If you're doing something, imagine you go over to your wife, whoever's married and whoever's not married, but it's not Hashem and your wife. You go over and be like, you start doing nice things. And she's like, oh, this is amazing. I found a new husband. Oh, finally, someone I dreamed of. And, uh, or still dreaming of. And uh, she, you know, you're doing all these nice things. And then all of a sudden, you just stop it. And she's like, what happened? He says, well, I, I thought that, you know, you're going to be nice. You didn't do it. So whatever. I'm not going to, you know, well, I think I'm just going to give you nice things, uh, you know, unconditionally. What's well, this unconditional love? It's only fairy tales. It doesn't work in real life. And he says, I'm not interested in, you know, I'm not interested in that. Anybody that does that means that there's whatever they started off with wasn't real to begin with. Because you're doing something only on the, on, on, the, on the condition that you get something back. I once I was speaking to an atheist and I asked him, um, you know, an atheist, someone who doesn't believe in God, I asked him, what are you going to do when you get up to heaven? And you're going to speak to God. What are you going to tell him? So a normal atheist answer is like, there's nothing there. There's going to be black. You know, those type of answers. But most atheists do not answer that. Why? Because they're not atheists. Because they like to say this. But I say, so I ask this particular atheist, what are you going to do when you go up there and you meet God? What are you going to tell God? He says, you want to know what I'll tell God? I'm like, whoa, I wasn't ready for that. He's like, I'll tell you what I'll tell God. And he says, I'll tell God, how dare you? He says all these things, the, all the suffering in the world. And they list all these negative things that happened 700 years ago. It doesn't even get the history right. All all these things, how could there be a God with us on the back? And I'm like, wait a minute, what does God owe you? 
Like you deserve anything, you're nothing, you're nobody, and you're, like God doesn't deserve to or need to give you anything. You're coming with tiny, you're coming with 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 uh, you know like like questions on God, and how dare you? Who are you? You are nobody. You're nothing. You don't even get to ask the question. So whatever the conversation went interesting, but anyways, the uh, the idea is is that you have people that they do things because you know tit for tat. I'm going to do for you, you do for me. That's not the correct way. The correct way is that you are an Eved Hashem. You have an obligation. You, when you're married, you have an obligation to be a good husband. When you're a father, you have an obligation to be a good father. When you're a child, you have an obligation to make... Well, not only when you're a child, also when you're older, you have to, make, to do Kibbut Aveim. To have to be able to go and, and treat your parents with honor and respect that they deserve. There was a 16-year-old boy named Mordechai Kaller. The year was 2000, and he was... Uh, he was going to volunteer in a nursing home. And his job was, he would get there in the morning and he would round up all the men, the, the religious Jewish men, to go, uh, sometimes not so religious, to go to, to the prayers, to go to Daven to pray. And uh, when they were giving him the orientation, they were walking around, they say, there's one guy over here. Just don't bother with it. The last guy that I asked him, I think, got cursed out. Got, you know, like, just leave this guy alone. Don't bother this guy. So finally, he did it the first, you know, a few, uh, uh, you know, few weeks. He left him alone, and then, you know, one time he just like, he's like, I gotta, you know, like I gotta ask, you know, like what's going on. So he didn't even ask him to go if he wanted, you know, come pray. He goes over to the guy, and he says, I gotta ask you. He says, what What do you have so against about praying that you know you get so angry at, uh, you know, like what's going? On? And he's, he was taken aback. He's like, you didn't hear the street cred or what's going on about what you coming to me with this type of request? And the guy's like, no, no, I just, I'm just curious. Why? So the guy, the old man goes and says, as you know, I come from a very prominent religious family in Poland. And I, uh, you know, when, when Hitler, when, when the Nazis came into my town, they killed everyone except for me and my father. I was 12 years old. And they put me and my father in a concentration camp. And we were sitting in the concentration camp, and there was one guy in the bunk that was able to take the tefillin shalosh. Right? So there's two parts of the tefillin shalosh, and the tefillin shalosh. He was able to take one, and there were people that lined up to try to do even though it wasn't a full mitzvah, but at least to get something every single day. And the day was getting closer to my bar mitzvah. And my father says, I don't want you just putting on one tefillin shalosh. I want you to put on a full set. And they found out that down the down the barracks, a few uh, you know a few blocks down, there was a somebody that was able to that smuggled in a full set. And the, the father said, "By your bar mitzvah, I'm going to go and I'm going to get you that set so you could put on for at least one day on your bar mitzvah. You could put on a full set of tefillin." So the boy said, "Okay, you know." And early that morning, the father sneaks out. This was death penalty. As soon as he gets caught, death on the spot. He sneaks out, and the boy's watching him, and he sees his father going and traveling behind the bushes, behind the barracks, going and sneaking in, till he's out of sight. And the boy is waiting there anxiously. When is my father going to back back? This is all that he has left in this world. His only 12-year-old boy had his whole family killed, only his father. Finally, a few minutes go by, and he sees his father sneaking you know, back. And he sees he has something tucked under his arm, and he's sneaking back and forth. And all of a sudden, he was just a few feet away from the barracks, and the boy was ready to hug his father to welcome him back. And all of a sudden, a Nazi jumps out from behind the tree, sees his Jew walking when he should not, should not be walking, didn't even ask any questions, took out a gun, and shot him in his head on the spot. The boy, this 12-year-old boy said, I saw my father die right in front of me. The Nazi sadistically laughs and walks away. He says, as he walks away, I ran over to my father. My father was gone. He says, but one thing he had clutched in his arms was this pair of tefillin. And then he goes and he says, I want you to open the drawer. 
And the boy goes, this 16-year-old Mordechai Kala goes, opens up the drawer, he sees over there, you know, this dusty old bag of filling. He says, I want you to take it out. He takes it out, he brings it over to the old man. He says, you want to know why I keep these? He says, because this is what my father died for. He says, dusty old boxes and straps, this is why I didn't have a father growing up. And this is what I showed to everybody. How could I pray to a God that did this to me? And that is why I do not go to pray. And that is why I do not want to ask you to pray. The guy's like, okay, I, I didn't know, I'm so sorry. And he leaves him alone. A few weeks go by. One of the people in the nursing home, they were, it was a yard side, they had to say Kaddish. And they needed a minyan. So they go over, um, this boy goes over, tries to find everybody. This one went to, you know, to this doctor, this one was in the hospital. They couldn't find the normal minyan. So they finally, they, he goes and he gets nine people. He says, the last guy, he says, you got to ask this old man. Who, like, he feels bad. He says, what are you going to do? So he goes over very carefully, walks over to this room. He knocks on the door. He's like, I'm so sorry to bother you. He says, I know you really don't want to go. And, you know, like, he says, but we have nine people. There's one of, your, one of your residents over here, one of your neighbors over here. They need to say Kaddish for the mother. Can you please do them a favor? Just come in just to like, answer so they could, say, they could say Kaddish. So this guy looks at him and he says, if I go this time, would you promise you'll never bother me again? He says, yeah, I'll never bother you. Just come this time, I'm not going to bother you again. And he says, okay. The boy gets in the wheelchair, starts wheeling him out. And the boy, as they pass by the dresser, dresser the boy's like, you want me to take the tefillin as well? And this old man says, if you take the tefillin, you promise you're never going to ask me, talk to me about it again? He says, never. He says, okay, bring the tefillin also. They bring the tefillin, they wheel him into, into, into the into the tnes, into the shul. And he says, do me a favor, I'll put me in the back because I'm out of here as soon as I'm able to. So the boy says, fine. He says, uh, the boy goes over to this old man. He says, do you want me to help you wrap the tefillin? And uh, he says, yeah, if you don't mind, he goes and he sticks out his arm and, you know, he sees the numbers and everything and he wraps, and he wraps, uh, uh, wraps this, person's, uh, this person's arm. They go and they pray. He turns uh, around after the prayer, figured everybody left already. Everybody was gone except for one old man. This old man was sitting in the corner over there and he was sobbing like a baby. And he rushes over, this boy rushes over, he says, everything okay? Do you want me to call a doctor? Do you want me to call a nurse? Is everything Okay. And the guy shakes his head no, and he starts mum, you know, mumbling out of breath. He says, Tati, Tati, Father, Father, it feels so right. And he starts crying, this feels so right. And he cries and he cries and he cries. And the boy is letting him, he finishes. As soon as, as he finishes, he you know, finishes wrapping, you know, taking off the tefillin. As he brings him back to the room, this old man goes over to the boy and says, do me a favor. He says, can you come pick me up tomorrow? And the boy says, yeah, sure, not a problem. And every morning when he got, got onto that floor, he didn't even wait. He didn't, the, the guy didn't, wasn't by his room. He was waiting by the elevator with his tefillin ready to go. And the, this old man goes over to the boy and says, I've never been so connected to my father. He says, I've never been so connected in my life to my father. And day in and day out, the second the boy gets out on the floor, this guy is waiting over there in front of the elevator with a tefillin. Some time goes by and he comes up one morning <clears throat> and the old man is not there. So he goes over to the bed in his room and he sees... There's no one in the bed. So he goes over to the nurse and says, where is this and this guy? So they were like, oh, you know, like, I know you guys were close. You know, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but, you know, like, uh, you know, yesterday he was rushed to the hospital and uh, he passed away early this, uh, early this morning. And the boy was, you know, obviously was very shaken, very bad. And, you know, like, continue what he was doing. But still, this was on his mind. About a week or so later, he gets, you know, awarded in, in the nursing home for all his, uh, you know, volunteer work. And then there's a woman that he never met before, comes up to him and she says, you know, I want to thank you so much for what you did for me. And he says, I'm sorry, I, I don't know you. He says, what do you mean I, what I did for you? And, he sa- and she explains, says, you know, my father was so-and-so, this is the guy who passed away. And he's like, oh yeah, of course. 
I said, you should know that the last few you know, months of his life, he was the happiest that he ever was. He was telling me how happy he was, how connected he was. And he, when he was in the hospital, when he went to the hospital, he called me frantically. He says, tomorrow morning, I need to put on tefillin. Please, can you go into the nursing home and bring me the tefillin? And he said, I went to the nursing home early in the morning. I, put, I brought the tefillin. He put, it, he put it on. And unfortunately, he had a stroke and he died wearing the tefillin. And I want to thank you for all that you, for all that you did. <clears throat> really, God doesn't owe us anything. We cannot have any tainas to, you know, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But when we reach out to Him, we can have the greatest connection possible. The question that is asked is then, so how do we reach that? How do we get to that level? If we know the greatest thing is being a servant of God, the greatest thing is to having that connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to having that connection, how do we get to that? So the Chavot Alva tells us, that the first thing that you need to know to get this submissiveness is to have hakaratatov, to have gratitude. To realize how much God has given you and the more that you contemplate on how much God has given you, the more that you'll be like, wait a minute, but I owe so much. And he gives an example. And imagine somebody who doesn't have a job and he has a large family and he can't pay his mortgage and he can't pay his car, he can't pay anything. And a wealthy guy goes over to him and he says, listen, I know you're struggling. I want to take care of everything. You're not going to sweat. You're not going to work a day in your life and I'm going to write you a fat check every single week to cover all your expenses and more. How grateful is this guy going to be to this wealthy benefactor? He's going to be like, of course, I'll do anything that you want. I'm in debt to you. Certainly, how great what God has given us everything. The fact that we woke up this morning, God gave that to you. The fact that you're able to walk, that you're able to eat, that you're able to breathe, that you're able to see, all that God gave to you. The more that we contemplate on this, the more that we can say, okay, God, I owe you so much. It says, let me do something for you. Let me do all the things that I need to do. In Parashas Vayigash, the Torah speaks about Yosef's economical plan. Now, the question is why? Is there, why are they putting Yosef? Why do we care about what was the economical plan? The economical plan was like this. The, Yosef got all the, all the food. He got, and the, the Egyptians, they needed to buy How are they going to buy the food? So they had money. They went over to them and said, okay, we want to buy food. They buy the money. And then they ran out of money. And there was still a famine. So they went over to Yosef. Okay, let me give you some cattle. And he took the cattle. And then they ran out of cattle. So he said, let me take you the real estate. And eventually they ran out of everything. So what is, what do they have to do? He said, Yosef, we need food. What do we can give you? We, can't, we don't have anything to give you. He said, we'll give you ourselves. We'll be your servants. We'll be your slaves. Because what happens when you can't pay someone back? You say, okay, all I can give you is myself. Is that, oh, let me do something for you. Let me do, and this is the way that we're supposed to approach HaKadosh Baruch This is why there's an economical plan that was put in the Torah. Because they're telling you that you can't pay God back. God gives us so much. So, so what do we do? We come at Hashem. What God? What can I do? What can I do? <clears throat> and this is why in Shmona Esra we say, God gives so much, does bestow so much kindness. And he, and he acquires everything. He gets everything. Kona is like buying. He acquires everything. What does it mean that God acquires? Because of all the good that God did for us, He acquired everything. Because the constantly gives and gives and gives and gives. And that's, we have nothing to give back other than ourselves. And the question is, so how do you, let's say you can't. Let's say you're not able, like, you know, like, okay, everything that I'm saying now is nice and dandy, but how, how are you supposed to get to that, to that level? So there was a hospital that there was a certain ward that needed at least three doctors, very busy. One night, they were very short on staff. And they tell this doctor, this newbie doctor, he says, listen, he says, we don't have, a, we're going to put you on over here, but if there's any problem, call for backup. 
And the doctor, he wanted to impress everybody. He just got out of medical school. He just worked so hard. He says, okay, no problem. I'll call, but I got this. And he's sitting in, the, in this ward. It's middle of the night. And all of a sudden, you know, one patient needs assistance. And then another patient needs assistance. And he's running back and forth, running back and forth, going from, you know, patient to patient. And he is like, stra- he's like pulled to very thin. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to get to everyone. And one patient died. And there was a massive lawsuit. And he sits in front of the judge, and he says, Judge, how do you blame me? There was three people that needed to be, I was alone, as I did everything the best that I can. And the hospital staff, the leadership, the lawyer, he says, yeah, he's right. You cannot do that word unless there is three people, but we told you, call us if you can't handle it. You're getting in trouble now because why didn't you call? And the Baruch Hu is going to tell us the same thing. We come up after 100 and be like, God, what do you want from me? He says, I did everything that I could. I couldn't accomplish so much. And God says, I know. I know it was too much. But why didn't you call? Why didn't you speak to me? Why didn't you ask me, Hashem, please help me? Why didn't you tell me, God, okay, you know, like, can you, I want to be an Ebed Hashem, but I can't. I need your help. At least that you could have done. Why didn't you do that? <clears throat> there was one schmooze of, 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 of Shalom Shadran had to reverse. He was a big uh, you know, speaker. He had to reverse one, one speech. What was the speech? He gave over a speech saying that you know, the Chavetz Chaim once got a hold of a watch. And he calculated how many words of Torah he could learn in one minute. And he calculated 200 words a minute. And this, uh, uh, Rav Shadran was giving this speech to Yeshiva. And he said, he said, imagine that. He says 200 words of Torah a minute that you could do. And what is it? Talmud Torah Keneget Kulam. And learning Torah is greater than all the other mitzvahs combined. So imagine you do 200 times the 613, how many mitzvot you can get in just one minute. And it's unbelievable the number of what you can acquire when you're listening to a Torah class, when you're learning Torah, when you're thinking about Torah, that's endless. And he gave, this was the, the theme of his, of his speech. A few days later, he gets a call from the Rosh Hashim, from the rabbi. He says, you got to come back over here. This is a disaster what's going on. He says, what do you mean? He says, the boys have not left the Bet Midrash in days. They don't sleep, they don't eat. They just learn and learn and learn. How can we give up? So he goes back over to the, to the, to the school. And he says, boys, even though, yes, every minute you have to learn, every, but you also have to take care of yourself. Because when you sleep so that you're going to be able to learn, when you eat so you're able to be having Hashem, when you do anything, that, even when you relax, you exercise, you play some ball, you're doing it so you'll be able to go and be able to serve God better, that's also a mitzvah, and that also you need to go, and you need to take care of yourself. <clears throat> and when you think of a topic like this, you don't, this, you know, like this and happiness seems to almost like, you know, not, not coincide. But the truth of the matter is, is that you know when true happiness is? You know when you achieve true happiness? The secular world tells, you know, what's happiness? When you have freedom. When you have the ability to do whatever you want, that's when you have happiness. But that's not, that's not happiness. Inside every single human being, there's a dual fighting force. There's a Yetzirah and the Yetzirah Tov. There's an evil inclination and there's a good inclination. He says there's, there's, a, there's a fighting force that's deciding of where you're going to go. And one's pulling you one way, another one's pulling you the other way. And you have this duality that's pulling inside of you. And whenever you have this conflict inside of you, you can never be at peace. You will never achieve happiness. That's why you see all these very, very successful, wealthy actors who have everything from fame to money to everything. They're still not happy. There's still that duality because they didn't straighten, they didn't align that. And how do you align that duality? How are you going to be able to go? You have the spiritual and you have the physical, and that's where the Torah comes in. It says, yes, you have the physical desires, but you're able to do it in the Torah way. You have the spiritual side, and you're able to do that in the Torah way. You're able to, if you're able to align that, that's when you're going to be able to achieve true happiness. The things, if you want to look at a really happy person, you look at the tzaddikim and how they're sitting and learning. You look at Chacham Babadiyah Yosef and how he was happy. And you look at Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky. Look at these people and they were glowing with happiness. But they weren't sitting and relaxing at a beach. 
That's not what they were doing. They were the most busiest people alive. They didn't stop from the 20, 22 hours a day. Even the president of the United States, well, this president is not a good example, but normal presidents, right? Even they work hard. This guy's always on vacation, but doesn't know where to work, whatever. Okay, fine. You know, like, but most presidents, even they work, they don't even work close to as hard as these gedolim. And what you think, who would be happier? You know, somebody probably who has all the money, sits on his private jet and goes into all his, his private island. And that, but that's not where the happiness lies. The happiness lies when you're able to align the duality inside. When you're able to be, have that contentment, you're able to have that peace and tranquility inside. And how do you get to that? You get to that by being an Evid Hashem. And by being an Evid Hashem, that doesn't mean that you're not going to enjoy life. That means that you're going to enjoy life doubly. Tripoli, times a thousand. You're going to enjoy the physical and you're going to enjoy the spiritual because you're aligning inside and everything that you're doing, you're doing for God It's a thousand times better, not only in this world way, that, but also in the next world because the amount of reward that, you are, <coughs> that you're getting. There was once this wealthy man, we'll finish off with this, there was a wealthy man who, um, who went to visit a Mekubal, a Kabbalist in Israel. And he gets into this Kabbalist, and he starts, you know, speaking to him. And he says, um, he says, so, you know, like, thank you for coming from, out of, you know, Chutzlaretz, it means outside of Eretz Yisrael, thank you for coming from, from uh, you know, I don't know where he lived in America, let's say he lived in America, thank you for coming from America. And this wealthy guy is, like, taken aback, says, how does he know that I don't live in Israel? How does he know that I came out from America? You didn't say anything. And um, they're talking a little bit. And then this, this capitalist tells over this, this businessman, he says, um, can you do me a favor? He says, there's a, there's a school that doesn't have a bus. And the kids can't get to school. Can you donate a school bus? And the wealthy guy is like, listen, you know, like, you know, I've just met you. I don't really know. You know, like, usually you know, I meet a rabbi. You know, the first time I give $180. And the capitalist says, you know, okay, you know, I understand. He says, remember when you were like seven, eight years old and you almost drowned in a beach? And the guy's like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah. And his mind is thinking, how do you remember that? He says, I remember that because it happened to me, but how do you know that? And he said, um, and you know what happened? He says, not really. He says, I just woke up and I was on the, you know, I, was in the, I went, you know, vacationing with my family. And we were swimming out. And then by the time I woke up, I was on the sand and someone was, you know, doing compressions, uh, CPR on me. <clears throat> and uh, the, the rabbi says, he says, you know what was supposed to happen? He says, when you are in the ocean, you are really supposed to go. That, that, was, that was the end. But then a bunch of little angels came out. And he said, wait, you can't because he's the reason that we're able to learn Torah. And because of that, they, they, they decided that they're going to give you extra life. And he goes and he says, because of what you're going to do in the future, by donating a school bus so that these kids could be able to go and travel back and forth and learn Torah, that's what saved your life when you were seven years old. He's like, Rabbi, who do I make it out to? <laughs> you know, I wrote a check on the spot. What's the difference that made him write the check now versus before? Before he's like, hey, what do I know you from a hole in the walls? I got any-. But all of a sudden, wait a minute, I have an obligation. I'm here because of that. Your whole mindset changes. So the next time that you're opening a Gemara, the next time that you're opening up a Sidur, the next time that you're doing anything, you're, if you stop for a second, be like, hey, wait a minute. Am I doing something for God or is God doing something for me? Your whole mindset will change. And you could utilize this concept for everything. You want to be successful in life? You want to be wherever you are? You want to be successful? Stop for a second 
second and think about what are you about to do. If you're thinking you're doing something for yourself, you're not going to be as successful. And this is the idea between obligations and rights. If you think about your rights always, you won't be successful. But if you think about your obligations, you'll be successful. You're running a business, if you think only about what your employees can do for you, there's going to be a higher turnover rate than, you know, like, uh, whatever, I don't want to give examples of high turnover rate businesses. Well, it's going to be very high turnover rate. But if you go and you give the employee appreciation and you know how to go and retain the employers, you're going to be, the employees, you're going to be able to go and build a successful business because you're thinking about them. And the same thing in your relationships. When each and every single one of you get married, if you go and you think, what can my wife do for me? That's not going to be a successful marriage. You have to think, what can I do for my wife? And that's what you have to think every single day. Not what I can do for myself, but what I can do for somebody else. And that is the bracha that I give each and every single one of us. That we should strive to be able to grow and reach the level of Evet Hashem, being a servant of God. And guess what? It's not the easiest. But you have one thing that you could do. You could say at least to the Talakadish Baruch God, please, at least I'm calling on you. I can't do it. Please help me. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.